Hello and welcome back to the Miscast, where we examine the latest news, spicy brews, and strategy in CEDH. I am your host, Drake Sasser, and with me today is the proud owner of a new microphone, my lovely co-host, Mikey Hallahan. How are you doing today, bud? Doing swell. Glad it's Friday. Um, I have a couple final round interviews coming up, so I'll finally be able to make some more more money. Took a little bit of a pay cut when I was just struggling to find a job during COVID, and now we're on that come up, so let's go. Yeah, I love that for you. Get that bag. Uh, yeah, like you said, it is Friday. We're recording uh, a little bit later than we normally do. Been busy weeks for both of us, it seems. Yeah, I just had a lot going on with just life, and it seems like both of us work's been kicking, us, kicking our asses recently, so... Yeah, yeah, I definitely have had a lot going on with work. We got a project wrapping up here soon. And uh, I mean, even today, there was like a, a demo that there was a fair bit of pressure on that we got to we got to demonstrate. And honestly, it did it did go fairly well. I uh, am very happy with what we were able to demonstrate and how the customers responded. So that's a good feeling. And you, those are the kinds of things you want going into the weekend is that reassurance that, you know what? I don't have this like super stress from work that I need to unwind from. You're just like, all right, look, everything's handled. And we're, we're ready to go into the weekend. So a little bit later on the recording of the podcast, hopefully I'll be able to get this edited and sent out same day. So, you know, if you're listening to this on Friday, you're welcome. If not, well, then I failed you all and I'm sorry. <laughs> so today we're working on, uh, or we're going to be talking about uh, priority bullying. Uh, this is something that came up on Twitter not too long ago, and I have a few like tweets I'm basically going to paraphrase. Hopefully that's allowed or whatever, but uh, it is certainly kind of what we're going to be talking about and why. Before we dive into that, though, uh, you working on anything? I know I am. I've been messaging all morning about a new little project I think I'm going to spend a little bit of time on, but I know you've been crazy busy working on anything in CDH right now. Uh, I've been looking at a lot of Chorakai. Um I haven't played the list at all yet but i have a few friends that i've been working on it so i've been helping them tune in giving some suggestions and that least something i'm really interested in just the fact that the deck can play around humility is kind of insane like i don't know how many people have played against that card in cedh but it is backbreaking what, so, what's the card what would you say humility no, no no the what's the commander Orkai. Well, what's the text on that card i, I don't know it's what the new vehicle commander one from kamigawa uh, commander decks it's the azorius one uh he's an infinite mana outlet for scepter and he's a vehicle so you can still loot with him and use his ability to draw cards uh even through humility uh let's see uh yeah here we go shorakai genesis engine two white and a blue legendary artifact vehicle Pay one mana, tap it, draw two cards, and discard a card. Create a 1-1 one, one pilot token with... Jeez, this is so much text. All right, so you draw two, discard one. That's probably the relevant text. And then you make a 1-1 one, one that can crew stuff as though it had two power. This thing has crew eight and can be your commander. So yeah, it's just, I guess, like you said, an infinite mana... Or, I'm sorry, an infinite uh, draw engine out of the command zone? Yeah, yeah, and then you can use Scepter combo to win, and you also can layer in Polytyrant stuff, because he makes 1-1s. One, and then oh, the deck is so just he does, of, yeah. Yeah, and then the deck is just, like, some stacks pieces and then a bunch of control stuff. But, like, it's able to play around Humility and win through Humility, which is just kind of insane, in my opinion. Well, does the Humility... How does the Humility stuff work with Polytyrant stuff? I guess you just don't do the Polytyrant stuff if you're Humility... Humility... I don't know how to use the ad, adjective version of Humility. But if, if Humility's in play, you probably don't uh, go for the Polytyrant stuff, huh? Yeah, exactly. And then you just lean into Scepter. It's just the fact that it can still win through such an impressive stacks piece is 
very impressive. I yeah, yeah. You could just pay that. Very you can play that in your deck. Yeah, that seems pretty powerful. A lot of four mana stuff, though. It seems like it'd be a lot of clogged up mana. Are you a Mistress Factory or Workshop? Sorry, are you Mistress Workshop deck? Uh, I don't think it's necessary. You probably could run it. Right now, you know, the Commander's only been out for a couple weeks, so it's definitely far from perfect at the moment. But yeah, I was just thinking on Darius, like, you're, you're you're in only blue-white. You don't have a lot of, like, rituals. You don't have any of the red rituals, Dockside. You don't have any mana creatures. So it's like, you know, how do you get ahead on mana? And my thought, like, kind of immediately went to, well, you need to play a ton of mana rocks if you're doing the Scepter thing anyway, just to make sure, like, whatever, you have a mana rock every time that you go for it. Uh, so, like, you can load up on, like, the Azorius Signet and Talismans and all that. And then, like, of course, Mishra's uh, Workshop kind of helps you power all that out. So I was just kind of wondering. And obviously it helps you cash your commander or whatever if you're going to try to do the Poly Tyrant stuff. I, I don't actually know. And like, yeah, you play the Proteus staff too, right? And that's like another artifact. So like, it just, you could just tap one land cast. That seems kind of, I don't know. It seems like it might be a good Mishra's Workshop deck. I don't, I don't know if they actually play it or not. Obviously it's only been out for a little bit, but something to put thought into. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Sounds sweet. That sounds like a, a dope deck and I hope you get it proxied up or whatever. I'd like to play against that sometime. I mean, I'm also working on a four-mana blue and white artifact commander, but this one has two other colors stapled onto it. It's actually my first CDH deck ever, uh, Brea Ethereum Shaper. Um, I initially played that list. Well, I played the list from, like, the tapped out thing. We talked about this in the very first episode, but this is my very first uh, competitive commander. Uh, I wanted to build into Yidris because, obviously, you know, I love Storm stuff at heart. Yidris and Bergy are easily the two decks I put the most time into, I think, at this point. Uh, but Brea was the very first deck I played and I actually found myself enjoying it a lot. I, I spent quite a bit of time, uh, working on that deck and tuning that deck, just kind of lazing around, not really wanting to buy a twister and not really wanting to do proxies. Cause I wasn't deep into the proxy game yet. Obviously I'm incredibly pro proxy, but like, I just like, wasn't willing to go pro. I was literally too lazy to go proxy stuff up. So I was like, whatever, I'm going to play a little bit of Brea and it was World Gorger Dragon deck at the time. It had Doomsday going on. It had Ad Nauseum stuff going on. It was also doing like Notion Thief wheels. I mean, it just had so much stuff just like packed into one deck trying to make like Faithless Looting and stuff good. There was like a pull from Eternity. And this is this deck was like playing Tainted Pack before Thassa's Oracle with like obviously you had a Lab Man or whatever, but like you were playing Tainted Pack so that you could Tainted Packed past the world gorger dragon and into the pull from eternity and build your own entomb yeah just a bunch of nonsense this list was sweet though i might still have it around somewhere so i was feeling nostalgic this morning uh after kind of thinking a little bit more about uh flame scroll celebrant the new silence i was like oh you know what's a good home for that well we can do world world gorger dragon stuff again and i was like oh i should do brea stuff again and naturally i'm playing neither of those cards not my brea list that i put together and have spent some time this morning talking to you about it just doesn't have either of those cards but um, I am excited about the prospect of transmute artifact. I know you're not, but like being able to go great, grab your LED for your Ariok salvagers and being able to transmute Brea into Bolus's Citadel is like really appealing to me. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's some cool stuff going on with Brea, but it's probably just a worse Karam Temna all the time. Yeah, we'll see. Being able to have act, like an infinite man out in the command zone is definitely not irrelevant. But that's true. That's true. I mean, that's obviously the the big thing Bray has going for. And and you seem to like to pretend that the card just doesn't exist on the battlefield. But when I was playing it back in back in the good old days, the card had a lot of texts just casting it. Like there's some games that get stalled a lot. I mean, there's a lot of Croms that go around right now, and you can activate its ability, kill some Croms. Uh, sacrifice some Thopters, obviously sacrifice her and maybe recast her if you're really late in the game. Just like answer some annoying stacks pieces because you do struggle to kill 
uh, or sorry, to win around like Draneth Magistrates and stuff. And she just answers that if she's in play. Uh, she had a lot of texts previously. Maybe that's not the case anymore, but uh, it might just be too slow. And I could definitely buy that. I quoted to you, I think being a bad Jeweled Lotus deck is a pretty big death knell for her uh, in general because Jeweled Lotus is just so insane. Um, and yeah, so being able to not really play those or Fierce Guardianship or SWAT really well because your primary plan certainly isn't to put her into play, but she mattered more than I thought she would as like a, a format of play in the the late stages of a CDH game. So I don't know. I'm excited. I have not played any games with it. I just put the list together this morning, uh, swapped out the cards from the little Opus Thief pile I was working on, which I'm actually pretty happy with, even though it's not really an Opus Thief deck anymore. It's more like a blue farm deck that plays Notion Thief and Smothering Tithe. But I think that's just making it a better deck realistically is take some of the goofy wheel stuff out and just play better cards, but also still have like some of the wheel synergies and play the wheels. I, I don't know. It's uh, I think the deck's good. I'm happy with where it's at. I, I don't know that a bunch more time put into it's going to make it that much better. But uh, I, I at least have a good baseline for where it's at. And I'm ready to play around with Bray a little bit, but uh, not overly optimistic that this deck's going to be dramatically uh, better or even at the same power level as the, the Tim McCrom piles. So we'll see. But I don't know. It's, it's cool that working on something new just started this morning. Got to talk with you a little bit about it. And uh, yeah. All right. Well. I've talked everyone's ear off about Brea enough. Obviously, fairly passionate about it. Uh, we can go ahead and move in to priority bullying. Um, yeah, so just to kick it off, uh, there was a tweet from Higher from Playing with Power. And they were talking about uh, being priority bullied in the game. It was just like, nah, nah, not going to happen. We're just, we're just all going to lose. In fact, I'm just going to like start spite you know, playing to just make sure that we lose when you try to priority bully. Just like a true, like very passionate little rant that got a ton of interaction. I mean, whatever, had like um, 12 retweets, like 300 likes or whatever. And uh, just kind of like showing a lot of disdain for priority bullying as a concept. And I made a tweet about it. I, you know, I was one of the quote tweets that kind of was, was talking about it on Twitter. And if you follow me on Twitter or whatever, which, you know, shameless blog, you should follow me on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw some of the conversation that I have and some of my positions about it already. But I actually do think it's worth spending more time on because I do think the conversation is more nuanced than what happened in the Twitter argument. And there's a lot of players, if you coming from 60 card formats like me, I didn't even understand how priority bullying worked until I, I had Brayden explain it to me. And Brayden's actually the source of a lot of the counter arguments that uh, I'm going to present towards, you know, the position in favor of priority bullying. Uh, today and I, I really like his insider. I really like talking through it with him and you know he was the one that kind of first showed me how it works and uh, maybe some of the benefits and whatever it, uh, there's a lot to it but uh yeah so I think it's just worth a worth a bigger discussion do you have any quick initial thoughts um I think it's just something that everyone needs to be aware of that can happen in the game and there are times where it is beneficial but I definitely get tired when people are really trying to be aggressive with it and act like they're they're like no, they're on like a higher level of thinking, and it's just like if you did didn't do this, you're incorrect. And it's like, dude, I know you're sitting on three counter spells. Like sometimes I am kind of with higher, but I know someone has a bunch of interaction. They're just choosing not to use it. Like I'm fine with losing those games because then we just lose to you on your next turn anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's where we're ultimately going to land. But let's let's dive into the nuance a little bit. And I think uh, 
if you follow any of the CDH creators, they probably you probably saw this discourse because I think a lot of people chimed in. It was like a whole shebang about a couple weeks ago. I think it was like March second uh, was when all this conversation was happening. But um, either way, let's dive in. Let's talk about what is priority bullying for the people that don't know, which was me at one point. If you don't know, don't feel bad. There's a lot of a lot of sixty card players that got in my mentions and were like, "What is priority bullying?" And I I wrote a little notepad to uh, to explain it. So I'm probably just gonna read off that. Um, so in CDH. If your opponent casts a, a big spell that's about to kill you, we'll use Ad Nauseam as an example. So your opponent casts Ad Nauseam, and you're the very first person in priority order to respond. Because, of course, uh, priority goes in a designated order, uh, starting with the active player. They can choose to hold priority or not, and it passes, I believe, in turn order. Um, and you have, let's say you have a counterspell. You're the first player in priority order. You have a counterspell for that Ad Nauseam, but it's your only piece of interaction. You'd rather save it maybe to protect your own win or, you know, at least use it down the line. Maybe there's a better spot for it. Like it's a, it's SWAT and somebody, you know, has a peer into the best in hand, whatever. There's a reason you want to not use this. You can pass priority to the next player and see if the, see if they have a response. And then, you know, if they don't, then they, they pass to the next player. And if the last player in priority order, uh, doesn't have a response and like, you know that and ever, the whole table is like, oh, we're about to die to this and everyone's just kind of looking at each other. You can be like, well, uh, float some mana, you know, tap a land, float some mana or take some kind of game action, maybe activate a Thrasios or something, generate another round of priority, give me priority again and I'll counter it. And so like that way you're kind of fishing a little bit. You can, of course, announce that you're not willing to respond to it unless someone else does. Like there's play to it, but essentially you are deliberately not interacting with something that's going to end the game trying to force another player later in priority to interact with it or or lose. Does that sound like a, a reasonable explanation? Is there anything you want to add to that, Mikey? Uh, I think that's fair. All right. So then we'll we'll move on a little bit and say, so why, why would you do this? Like, there's some maybe not obvious strategic advantages because, like, you, you might lose. Like, what if the player just refuses to generate another round of priority? Everybody loses. Well, that's, I mean, that's obviously something that can happen. There's a risk there, but... If it works, you know, if the, the player uses their interaction, then guess what? You got to save your piece. You know, that's advantageous for you. Uh, it could potentially get you information on, you know, what people have. They can say maybe, I mean, I can't interact. Like, you don't even have to announce that you have a counter spell. You just be like, I pass priority. And they can be like, well, I have this thing, but I don't, you know, I don't have something that directly answers this ad nauseum. Maybe I have a SWAT so I can, I can help protect you, but I can't, I can't actually directly counter it. Well, now you know what's in their hand. And, of course, if nobody has anything, you at least tax uh, one of the player's resources, the last player in priority order. They have to do something in order to generate another round of priority, like tap a land, take some kind of irrelevant game action that they normally wouldn't just to give you priority again. That's disadvantageous advantageous for them and therefore, you know, advantageous for you. And, uh, you know, maybe in some scenarios, if you just have your way. It can kind of allow you to drive all of the interactions to go exactly how you want them and you know, I think that's the appeal for a lot of players is you can kind of feel like that mastermind, this master of puppets able to like manipulate everyone to counter with exactly the way you want to where you get to save everything and have everything go your way. And that's very uh, attractive to a lot of players. Um, So I think, too, it's just like it's part of the strategy of the game. Like uh, commander is obviously very different from other like 60 card formats because there's four players in the game. And it's just using your cost-risk analysis, which you use in all other formats. Like, if you have an, a piece of interaction, but you're first in priority, and you see three other decks with open mana that are playing blue, 
Sometimes it's worth just taking that risk so you get to hold on to your resources, leave more mana up, and then try to have someone else deal with it. Obviously, sometimes you die because of this. There's been plenty of games I've lost where I've had like a force of will in hand and I pass because I was first in priority. It's just the cost-risk analysis because like those games, it's usually like I have my own ad nods or I have my own win attempt or I think the person right after this person's going to try to win. So something that you just have to be tricky with, I think in general, you just can't abuse it and sandbag all all the time. Otherwise, then people start to catch on and not be able to get away with it as often. So it's interesting that you mentioned that, that like you've lost some games with Force of Will in hand. I, I actually haven't. So when I first came back in my day, I'm going to do this every episode. I'm just going to back in my day every episode. Um, so when I started playing CDH, I kind of took a um, maybe a more 60 card approach to each game, which was certainly, I think, a little, I don't know, overly simplistic. Certainly not, I think, optimal. Like, I've since adjusted my heuristics for playing games of CDH. But when somebody was casting a game-winning spell, like, you know, let's go back to the example I used where there's an ad nauseum on the stack. I'm the first player in priority order. I have a piece of interaction. I would always use it. I didn't do any kind of table talk. I didn't do anything. I went, okay, I'm first in priority order. It's basically my responsibility to either cast my spell or pass priority. Like, that's just how the game goes. Like, we can't afford to just not lose. Like, my thinking was so directed towards we can't lose at any cost. Like, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. Like, I can try to be tricky. I can try to do all this, all these gymnastics. But if we all just die to this thing because I'm trying to be tricky, like, it's absolutely not worth it. It's never worth it. And therefore, I'm just always going to counter it if I can. Like, that was literally my heuristic. Like, I was just like a bot. It was like, if I have it, I'm going to use it. If I don't, maybe maybe I'll say something. Maybe I won't. You know, like maybe I'll see kind of if anybody else wants to talk first, like there's some situations where, you know, it like, let's say it's like a miscast. That card wasn't printed yet, but miscast or spell pierce, something that like could counter it if someone else does something and makes him tap mana. Uh, but like realistically it doesn't work at a base level. Maybe I'll just be like, I mean, I have a spell pierce, but that doesn't counter it. So does anybody, you know, can anybody team up here a little bit? Anybody got anything they can do to tap some mana or, or interact in some way? But I would always like, I never died with a force of will in my hand. Like, I'm casting that force of will. And I do think that players in the pods I've played tend to lean too far the other direction. Like, to me, it's just so unacceptable to, like, be at the end of a game where somebody reveals force blue card and they're just dead. Like, how did this happen? Like, I just don't think there's a scenario in which that should ever happen. And I think that's a big part of this discussion for me and where I come from, and I think certainly my initial, and even to this day, I still really, really dislike priority bullying. You're going to notice this as we progress things. I am going to do my best to give it kind of a fair, unbiased treatment, but I very much dislike it. The interactions I've had with it in general are pretty bad, and I feel that way about table talk in general. And I know you stand on the other side of the spectrum. You, not the complete other side, but you certainly do more table talking than I do, I feel like, where... I just basically shut down, refuse to like talk most of the time. If someone's going to be like, Drake, what are you going to do with this? Or, you know, convince me to let this resolve. I'll be like, look, here's what's on the table. Like, I will literally just explain what's face up and then be like, that's that's what I got. I don't know. Like, you're not deterministically dead. I'll use that one all the time. People are like, what? What is this tutor going to go get? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're deterministically dead, which is usually true, especially when playing something like Bergy. But like, you know, my whole point with this is that I would always cast my interaction because losing was just so unacceptable. Did you, was your introduction to CDH different from that? 
like were you somebody that was was taught from the get-go hey like you know you got to play the political game hard um for me like I don't really do much politics. Like I know I do a little bit more table talking than you, but for that, it's literally like, all right, uh, there's a win on the stack. Does anyone, anyone deal with this? Yeah. I have a consult <laughs> in hand. I'll fire it off, but like I really would rather not. Like that's the only time. Yeah. Really yeah. It's like the only time where I really speak up is where it's like I really don't want to have to be the one to interact, but it's like okay, like I can if I have to consult and pray. Then sure, I'll I'll, I'll take that. But I'm definitely with you where I don't really like doing the table talking thing. To me, priority bowling really isn't anything to do with politics or people talk. It's like I said, it's just the cost-risk analysis and the nature of the format having four players in it. Because something that I run into a lot, uh, this is something like Ashani always criticizes me on, is that I, a lot of times I am the first one to just whip out a counterspell. Like if I am in priority and I have an answer, I just drop things left and right. And I definitely do that a lot. But there's also points where I see in the game where I think it's very likely other people have interaction where I'll be like, oh, this person has six mana up in a Thrasios activation. I'm definitely going to pass to them. They should be activating Thrasios and digging for an answer if priority gets to them. It's like, sure, that's priority bullying, but to me, that's just playing correctly. I am not going to use up my own resources when I can get other people to try to do stuff for me. And like, I know that still kind of falls under this definition of parry but it's like you're reading the board state. Like, I see someone has six mana open, they're in blue, and they have an onboard Thrasios. I pass priority to them, and there's a win on the stack. They should be activating it. Like, that's just the correct thing. And I'm going to wait to see what they flip off of that, because they flip a counterspell. Now I can pass again, and now it's their responsibility to answer this. So, I just like using it where in like those types of situations. And then once again, if I see maybe there was just a wheel, I'm first in priority. I have like a fierce guardianship, but there's two other people after me. They have mana up. There's an Adnaz on the stack. I'm pretty likely to pass it because at this point, everyone refilled their hands. Everyone's a threat to win. And I don't feel like I'm going to get another turn if I just blow all my interaction stopping this one. So I kind of need other people to help step in. The way I see it, a loss is a loss. Even if so, if I lose to you in like seat one, if I can, if I. If you in seat one, you have a win on the stack. You just cast an Adnos. But I know that seat two has a breach that's ready to go off. I need other people to help out. So I'm going to pass on the Adnos, hope that the table has an answer for it. And then if they don't, I'm not, I don't feel obligated to counter because I know we're just dead to player two anyway. Yeah, I think that's certainly my approach as well. I think there's an interesting nuance too that you just exposed, especially referencing something like Demonic Consultation. Um, there has been a few spots where I kind of create this, like, mental desperation chart, where it's like, okay, like, I have this demonic consultation. I'm not just going to fire that off without seeing if other players have other interaction, because there's a chance demonic consultation just kills you. Like, if I name a counterspell, and I flip the top six cards, and it's in there, my whole deck's gone, and I'm just down on the spot. To me, those floors are so big. In 60-card formats where you sit down, and there's a lot of spots where you have to assess not really how you win because you're far ahead, but in fact, how you lose. Like you have to sit there and be like, okay, how do I lose this game? A lot of times, I think I'm a lot more reserved with casting my consults. And we've had this conversation a few times as well off cast where it's like, you are much more willing. And I not just you, actually, a lot of the CDH players I play with are willing to just kind of cast demonic consultation a lot more liberally than I am. I'm always someone that's like, look, this card has a floor that just kills you on the spot. That's, like, really, really bad to me. And, like, I understand maybe I think I'm a little more conservative with it than, you know, I should be. Like, I think there are certainly spots where I should use it as a, a tutor more. 
But like Demonic Consultation, I treat as just a blank piece of cardboard that, you know, you can cast as a desperation and maybe still win. But like, truth be told, I don't know that I've cast a Demonic Consultation in a non like Thassa's Oracle win the game scenario and gone on to win the game more than probably like, I don't know, two or three times lifetime. Like I just, the card has such a direct impact on me losing the game. Even if I don't exile my, you know, whatever entire deck, I do find the counter spell, things work out. Like usually there's just enough of my deck gone that it disrupts my plan, makes my like lines more clunky. And maybe this is on me, right? Like this could just be a complete deck building flaw. This could be me not naming things correctly, but that's not really how I've, that's not the impression I've got having played the card. I just don't think the card Demonic Consultation should just be cast willy-nilly. Now, all of that to say, when I'm holding a Demonic Consultation and I'm first in priority order, I'm going to pass priority. Like, as much as I just gave this whole spiel where I don't die with Force Blue card, I don't. But I do die with Demonic Consultation a fair bit of the time because it's just like, okay, this card's like fairly likely to kill me. I need it next turn even present a win. Like, it's kind of what you were saying, where it's like, yeah, I can fire this off, but, like, this is a big part of, like, the power of my hand is that I can just go find a Thassa's Oracle and do Thassa's uh, Oracle Consultation next turn. But if I fire off my Consultation just willy-nilly trying to find, like, an interaction piece, then, like, I'm dead. I have no plan for next turn. Yeah, I maybe stopped the win here, but, like, you know, I'm just so far behind that I'm not that desperate. I need this to go my way, or else I'm just probably not very likely to win the game. So I'll pass priority. And I construct this kind of cue of, all right, like I'll fire this consultation off if I have to. Like if people use a bunch of interaction and then they're all like, we're out of stuff and like there's a deterministic win on the stack. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm going to fire off the consultation. I'm not going to be like, okay, well, darn, we're just dead. Like nobody, nobody really should do that. That's a little, I'd like to say spiteful, but like realistically, it's just not optimal. Like play to win and that involves staying alive. So like I'm going to cast my consultation, but I'm not going to do it as the first piece of interaction or whatever. Now, if the whole table's like, oh, dang, we're dead, like, then it's just like, holy, holy cow, guys, all right, like, maybe I'll be in a spot there where I do employ priority bullying, if you call it that. I mean, <laughs> it's hard for me to call it bullying when I just feel like it's just a desperation move, but it's like, all right, uh, I passed priority with a consultation, none of you have anything, I guess give me priority and I'll cast this consult, like, that's come up a couple times, but, like, realistically, if I'm in that scenario, I don't even feel like I'm ahead. I don't feel empowered. I'm usually just like, look, I have a consult and nothing else. And I'll just tell the table that it's like, you know, we, we can do this, but I, I really just don't want to cast this consult. And there's a good chance that like, I'll just exile enough of my deck, even if I hit the interaction that I'll just concede because I just can't even win anymore anyway. So when these kinds of scenarios come up where there's a really threatening spell on the stack, I generally fire off like stuff that's like close to free right like the the counter spell or the the mana drain the mental misstep like the stuff that's like all right you know one for one stop the scary thing uh not you know too far behind on resources don't have to commit too much to actually stopping it just commit my card cast my spell stop the spell great but like things like pact negation or dawn consultation that can have a just devastating impact on my next turn i generally don't want to use those until it's the last thing possible, right? So, and I think that is kind of a, I, I want to say variation on priority bullying. It's not really the same because like I said, I, I think one of these, like when you're priority bullying, you're doing it as someone that's ahead, trying to stay ahead. Whereas I'm doing it from, I'm doing it as a desperation move when I'm behind 
I don't know if this is just copium, but like this is what this is how I see things. This is like my vision of the difference here between how I act in pods versus some of the obnoxious, we'll say, uh, instances of priority bullying I've seen. Yeah, I think that can bring us to like the difference between sandbagging and priority bullying. I think more of what you were just explaining there with the packs and console is more of sandbagging, just like waiting till the last possible second to like rip off your interaction. This is priority bullying, which is what I was going at more, where it's like, I see someone in last has a Thrasios, so I'm going to make them activate it. See if they flip a counterspell, because they flip a Fierce that I'm going to pass right back to them, or they don't want to cast the Fierce because they feel like I'm bullying them. I'm fine losing that game, because to me, that's just very much incorrect play. Like, I see you have a shit ton of open mana Thrasios on board. I'm going to make you activate it. You've revealed a counterspell. Now I know you have an answer, so I'm going to just make you deal with this. Um, versus sandbagging, where you just you have interaction in hand, you're just trying to wait. And see, like, how long can you get away without casting it? Because it's like, maybe they're doing a breach line and you have a mind break trap or a fluster storm. So you don't need to counter the breach necessarily. You can wait a bit and then deal with them when they're trying to like brain freeze themselves. Maybe they don't have enough cards in their yard or things like that. So I think that's like an important distinction to make is like sandbagging versus priority bullying. Yeah. So what I was going to actually, like, my intent, like, in the notes and all that is to kind of, um, illustrate that the difference between priority bullying priority bullying involves like a lot more table talk where you're like oh you know do you have anything like uh past priority like i i you know whatever like i don't want to use this thing or whatever you just say you know or you say nothing you just pass priority and be like you know what do you have whatever and then it gets to the last player and you're like oh, oh, oh like create like do something like tap a land and give me another round of priority i i do have an, uh, something i want to cast um and that instance right there where you have to like verbalize that you need another round of priority is kind of when it becomes priority bullying for me like sandbagging is easy to do especially if you know like in the scenario you just described where you're like oh somebody revealed a a fierce guardianship off of their thrasios activation i know they have a fierce guardianship i'm not gonna cast my pact negation or whatever or even you know even my own fierce guardianship because they have one that's face up they know it's face up and so, you know, the whole table knows that it's just kind of spiteful if you are the one to pass priority. Like, it, it, it illustrates the downside to having revealed interactive pieces. I think it's actually really bad. Like, I think having revealed interactive pieces is, like, pretty tough because it opens you up to, like, being more or less priority bullied. But, like, having it be really correct. Like, if you know someone has a piece, I, I really do think you should force them to cast that piece. Because, like, it's face up. The whole table knows it's face up. So just get it out the way so we can go back to playing a game where, you know, there's a lot more variables and things are not as scripted. Like, it's actually problematic if everyone else casts their interaction first. Because if the last piece of interaction is that revealed Fierce Guardianship, then the player who is trying to combo off, whoever that may be, knows exactly what to play around. You know, there's no, dang, what if they have silence? Dang, what if they have mind break drop? No, you just know there's a Fierce Guardianship. That's it. So, like... It's actually advantageous to basically the entire table to priority bully that player to using that spell as the first piece of interaction always. And obviously there's some amount of, uh, you know, you know you need to be able to beat that if you're the first person to go off. If you're the first person to try to cast an nauseam or the first person to put an underworld breach in the stack, you need to account for that revealed fierce guardianship. But there is, I think an effect that that has on the game too, where somebody that might just like rip off a combo because they're like, oh, you know, whatever X tapped low, you know, player Y tapped low, 
and you know player z only has a thrasios you know maybe maybe i'm okay to go off here but if you know there's a fierce guardianship then that player that would have maybe tried to go off and use the fierce needs to wait another turn so i think revealed interaction does a couple things one it prolongs the game because somebody's not going to go for their win unless they have at least one piece of backup realistically they'll do more than one if they you know know what's good for them but like at a base level to play correctly you know they need to play around that fierce guardianship and still be able to present a win and still you know not just immediately die to, to you know whoever else is on the table so i think in that way it prolongs the game but also encourages that player to use that interaction as quickly as possible. And I like that dynamic. I think that dynamic is really good. Even though it is, in essence, priority bullying, once again, this is another copium where I think the line isn't no priority bullying and max priority bullying. I think there should be spots where it's correct to do. But let's take it to the extreme. Let's say, all right, Someone's just doing this for every spell. It doesn't even have to be something threatening. Like, imagine there's a Krom on the stack. Like, that's not going to win the game immediately, but it's good. Ristic Studies, the same way. Not not going to win the game immediately, but it's good. And you are just, once again, you're priority bullying for every spell that even could matter. Just to get little advantages. You're like, all right, you know, whatever. Your first player priority, you pass, and then you tell the last player in priority order, okay, generate a round of priority. I think I want to do something. And then you don't even answer it. Like you could, you could really kind of scum this player by being like, all right, tap your mana just to get them to tap mana down. And then you don't even actually answer it. You just cast like a tutor or whatever, you know, just like you get an opportunity to do something after you see nobody else has anything. And you don't even answer the spell that you're saying, oh, generate another round of priority. Now, obviously this does some amount of damage to your rapport with that player because next time you go to ask or something they may not do it and then you might just die so there's risk there but like it does create these like really obnoxious feel bad scenarios where that player is just like what the heck and then the whole table has to sit through you more or less priority bullying this player into just tapping mana like all this just to get them to tap mana or whatever even if it's quote-unquote objectively correct which i don't think it is because you know i think the social uh, aspect of four player games and having rapport with other players does matter. So I don't think it's objectively correct, even though, you know, it may seem like it on paper, uh, just cause it's like free advantage or whatever. You, it doesn't really cost you anything to do, but it, it actually does because of the social construct. But like, that's not really marketable by just moving game pieces around on the table. Right. Um, I think there's a line where if somebody's doing that for every single spell that could matter, and, you know, honestly, not that, you know, that player that's doing the bullying isn't even always going to be the first in priority order. So, like, they're going to get bullied some, too. It creates this game where there's basically that's like the only thing going on, right? Like, the majority of the game is just people trying to, like, bully each other into tapping lands and then taking weird game actions. It just becomes very divergent from what a normal game of Magic looks and feels like. And to me, that's pretty awful. I don't know if you've played very many of those. Um, I haven't really played it where everyone's doing a lot of priority bullying, but that doesn't sound appealing to me. I've been in those types of games and I just don't play 
that game. Like when I see everyone's doing it and things, I'm with high. It's like, all right, I'll, I'm taking the L on this one. <laughs> we're, we're just going to die. Get me out of here. <laughs> it's not enjoyable. I think it's just like people trying to be like really big brain. Be like, I'm so smart. I'm going to make you tap down a land or something. And it's like, why are we doing this? Like you're, you're setting yourself behind. Now you're tapped out. The person after we stop, this person has less to worry about now. I just don't think like that is very smart. I think you really need to be careful when you pick your moments and when you see like an actually onboard game actually if someone has a dork don't be like tap your dork down and then maybe i'll deal with this it's like no like make them activate their thrasios make them do something like that make them spin their sensei's top i don't care it's something that's more reasonable where they might actually be able to find an answer then that's where i see the situations where i like to priority bully also going on to the known information thing you were saying that's exactly why i'm so low on seaborn use these days with thrasios decks um, like for a long time, Seaborn Muse Thrasios was just like this unbeatable combo. So it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. They yeah, that. yeah, they got this out. Like they're just gonna win. I didn't find that the case at all this past year. Like I, I've played a lot of Evo, and this is why I actually ultimately cut Seaborn for one year kick. You have Seaborn Thrasios out. You're a threat, obviously. So it's kind of hard to keep protecting your Seaborn, and you have to keep putting more resources into it just to keep it alive. But ultimately, you'll get so much information on your hand. I found it extremely difficult to win games where I was playing with people in pods that are just good, competent players. Because they're like, oh, a breach is coming. You know how to deal with this. It's like, yeah. oh, he has three pieces of interaction. We're going to make him answer everything. And I just found out I was losing more games with Seaborn Muse than winning just because once people had known information, they just kept passing priority to me. And then it's like people knew if I say I was in like position two or position three, if I passed priority at that point. They're like, okay, we're just going to take the loss because we know you have three pieces of interaction in hand. We're not beating you. And if you're not going to want to use resources to stop other wins like we're all fine losing because we're not winning losing to yeah you, you wouldn't win the game win. anyway no that's a good point yeah. And I, I yeah i think that really illustrates kind of the seedborn muse puts you not just like in an instantly win the game state which is really the problem right where like you become where you're really far ahead it's kind of like rhystic study does the same thing right if there's a player that's like storming off which is usually me i'm usually the player storming off and there's usually a player that has a rhystic study and it's like all right like it becomes a 1v1 situation and we both know it like the player storming off knows it the other two players know it and the rhystic study player knows it so they're you know i i like those scenarios where it's like all right like me versus you kind of and then if you just don't have anything then you know, the other players will maybe chime in if they have anything. But realistically, in those spots, usually everyone's low on resources. And, you know, I'm paying for some triggers, maybe not all the triggers. And, like, mostly just trying to overwhelm your free counter spells under a Rhystic study. Uh, because that's kind of the spot I've chosen. Um, it, it puts you in the spot where you're, like, really far ahead. But, like, you don't just win on the spot. And because it's not powerful enough to just overpower absolutely everybody, you can kind of get in a spot where you're playing a game of arch enemy where it's just three players versus you because like you said it's like all right look you have all of these resources you're getting all these looks if you don't answer it us answering it certainly isn't a winning line like we're just going to lose to your hundred thousand resources that you have access to and all the interaction you're going to find so you have to be the one to answer it and then if that's always the case which it's always going to be because you're just constantly getting ahead then you are actually going to eventually be depleted and just lose on the spot so like you can't just have this card advantage engine that reveals a bunch of interaction and then just get bullied into the ground. And like, that's what I'm saying. I think there's, I think that's why priority bullying in this entire show is worth the longer conversation because there are these spots that are inherent, inherent, there we go, inherent to games of CDH and pods that you will play where it is correct to bully a player that's just like really far ahead. 
for whatever reason, be it, you know, Remora, Aristic Study, Crom Triggers, even like anything. Like if they just have a pile of resources and you don't, it's correct to bully that player to use their resources so that anybody else has a chance. You, you need to level the playing field. But there is certainly a threshold where the game just becomes all about that for no reason, even when, you know, it's not clear if someone's ahead and you're not even necessarily bullying someone that's ahead, that I think it creates a very different game entirely. Now, to be 100% honest, I haven't played very many of these games. Like these games that are all about priority bullying, these ones that I'm referencing that are in the far extremes, I have not actually played those. You say, you know, you have and you haven't really participated. And, you know, I'm willing to argue that maybe if you haven't participated, you haven't actually played those games. Because, like, I'm envisioning a game where every player is on the same, on the same page. And that's, that's really the problem, right? Where if someone's priority bullying, the rest of the table's not. It's just really awkward and obnoxious. But imagine a scenario where that's what the game's about. And this is kind of, I think, where Braden's coming from. And, you know, Braden, of course, you can tweet at me if you're listening to the podcast. If you don't, whatever. He's somebody that really gave me this perspective. And it's something I want to articulate where he's talking about he doesn't understand, you know, why priority bullying gets as much heat as it does. And he, like, genuinely loved playing these games where everyone was on the same page that last player in the priority order is going to get priority bullied. And that actually adds to... Uh, you know, when players pick spots, who they want to get bullied, like when you initiate a an ad nauseum, maybe you you cast an ad nauseum on a different player's turn, just so one specific player gets priority bullied, like that is your on your radar going in. And it adds another level to the game where everyone's on the same page, everyone knows that priority bullying is going to happen. And then you use that kind of as like a, a leveling thing, where you're like on the next level, and you're trying to you know, trick people, even though you're last in priority order, maybe you generate another round of priority by doing certain things. I, I don't actually know the entire context of these games, but I can kind of envision where the game's being played on another level where priority bullying is something that is expected out of all four players and actually matters. And frankly, I could see games like those being successful. I, I could. I could see that being fairly fun because it is a unique experience. I don't get to do that in 60 card formats and I often say I come to CDH to experience uh, play patterns and games that I and experiences I can't get in 60 card formats, which you know, is why I love wheels so much, whatever. But priority bullying on that extreme is something that certainly doesn't exist in 60 card formats because they're not multiplayer. And frankly, I'm not sure that even the average player is good enough at magic. And this isn't really a call out to just call everybody terrible. I'm great. Everything. I legitimately think that doing this would be hard. Like you would need to be in a pod where, you know, it's like the best players. They all understand everyone's deck list. They know what's on everybody's radar. Like these are players that are experts and they're all on the same page. And maybe this actually happens. Maybe this, this is what tournament pods are like, you know, whatever the final pod of playing with power. Maybe this actually happens a good amount of the time. And we just don't see it because it's not as obnoxious. It's played down. You know, there are social skills at work here. There are, uh, you know, it's wrapped differently. It's not just, you know, obnoxious, you know, whatever. I'm so smart. Everyone else is dumb. Like priority bullying in, in the extreme cases we've given. But it's a lot more subtle, you know. And this is where I think the line between priority bullying and sandbagging does begin to blur. And I think it's also where... There's a lot of interesting magic that can be played provided, you know, the social skills of these good players, which, you know, 
I'll, I'll talk about it in just a second in the cast, but I do think having good social skills matters in CEDH because of the political aspect. And, you know, so all these players, the players that are good at CEDH, therefore do have good social skills. I think there's, I think there is a correlation there because that adds to it. You don't necessarily absolutely have to, maybe you can play a deck that goldfishes, but I do think the average CDH player is going to have really good uh, social skills. So everyone knows how to like say things, knows how to word things, knows how to, you know, even down to like body language to make priority bullying more seamless. And I could see those games being really interesting to navigate. I I don't know. Do you have any thought? You've seen actually more tournament CDH than I have. I, I do really want your thoughts on where like those pods could potentially exist and be really interesting to both watch, commentate and participate in. Um, yeah, also just on the note of Brayden real quick, where I, you were like, I don't think what you were explaining is um, the situation I'm thinking of. I was Those games were with Brayden, and I'm sure the two people he's referring to are Richie and Jacob, who used to play at this card shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking about he play. loved those pods, is what he's saying. Yeah they, yeah, they don't say a word. It's really just a spell goes on the stack, and people will just tap their land. They don't even say pass priority. It's just like, my land's tapped. It's back on you. Really? And, yeah, and I just... I was That's on interesting. At the time, and I was just like, I, I'm not playing this game. Like, I'm not going to tap out more mana so then another person has resources to go off plus you know get rock and win at instant speed it's like me tapping my lands is just like my shields down on so many levels because now i can't just try to push in like an oblivion crown or necromancer or whatever and win on the stack i just don't enjoy those because i don't feel like it's tight play i think it just gets to a point where it's just like i'm going to try to force these other people to use resources and it's like haha and it feels like a more of a gotcha when i was in those games than more of like this was very strategic play by everyone in the pod I do agree with you, though, that now it's becoming more of, like, the subtle thing. Like I said, anytime I see an active Thrasios and they have open mana, I'm passing prior to that person. I don't care what's on the stack. I don't care what's in my hand. I'm going to make them tap mana to use their Thrasios because there's, like, like I said, there's a chance they flip into a counterspell. Um, and I think that's what you kind of see at these tournaments now. I don't think it's all kind of nonsense where it's like, oh, tap your land and give me back priority because people just don't play that way because they know once they do that, they're in a losing position. That's why I don't really enjoy those pods because like sending yourself back to not lose is just not usually worth it in these games, When especially now that the format's gone so much faster. Right. I think those types of games work better when there was like Flash Hulk and some other things going on where the format was a much slower, more grindy. But nowadays, it's like if you're just tapping out for no reason just so someone else can stop a win, like you're dead. Like you're, you're, you're just dead. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, what if yeah. what if you have free interaction, right? Like, take uh, so you said you were playing Gitrog at the time, right? Imagine would those pods be more interesting to participate in if you were playing like Chrom Armix, where there's a ton of free interaction. Your commanders come out on the cheap, and even like Armix is you know kind of a free piece of interaction in that you know you just have to tap it and discard a card, and suddenly something's dead. Like you know, it's just there's it doesn't actually use your mana, so like your lands actually just don't matter as much. Uh, I would argue in Chrom Armix is something like Gitrog, where you're in only black green, all your spells basically cost mana, and it is a lot more backbreaking for your deck to try to play this priority bullying game that they're playing because it does just mean you lose. Whereas, you know, decks that maybe have, you know, a, an abundance of free interaction, it's a lot less costly because it, it just doesn't matter some amount of the time. It's a free resource that you now have to work with to play this priority bullying game. And, uh, you know, whatever, maybe in those pods, your deck is like actually directly better than a, a deck that can't play the game simply because, you know, you actually can pivot to playing this pri these priority bullying matters for all four players games that I'm talking about. This, the way that I see it in general, magic is literally a game all about resource management. Right. It's all about 
knowing when to cast your spells, knowing when to leave up mana. And I just don't enjoy this dynamic when people are really like all in on this priority bullying, getting other people to like tap out and stuff. Because the way I see it, one open blue mana is huge. I can see one open blue mana if you are running blue in your deck, like I'm thinking of a million spells I need to play around now, like Flusterstorm, Dispel, Swan Song, Spell Pierce, Miscast, like these are all things. The way I see it, like even if I don't have those cards in hand, I don't want to tap down my mana and then just limit the amount of things other people need to play around. Because to me, that's the skill in this game. When you see what's available on the table, it's like, all right, here are the things that beat me here. What do they have access to? I don't enjoy this game where it's like, oh, let's limit people's resources and then force someone else to interact. To me, that takes away a lot of the fun of it. Because I like when I see a board and it's like, all right, I lose to exactly silence here. I have a red blast in hand and I have like another answer to something else, but I lose to silence if this person has the summons. It's like... So they, that's what I enjoy because it's that cost risk analysis. It's like they have one card that beats me. I'm going to go for it. And then sometimes you get got. But I just feel like when you're just arbitrarily tapping mana to force other people to do things and all that kind of stuff, like true priority bullying or however you want to define it, mm-hmm. it just takes away a lot of that skill and a lot of that fun because now it's just limiting it. And I feel like it just ends up panning games to other people at the end of the day. Like, I just don't enjoy that mindset. I rather just like type play, respect people's decisions, pass priority. Maybe they're taking a risk because they have, like I said, like they're trying to sandbag. But they see like everyone has open blue mana. Sometimes you die. And like that's the way that I see it. And I'd rather it just be people are making good decisions. And that's why I'm very selective with the people that I play with. Like I never go on random servers anymore. I'm playing with Agreed. Where I I trust everyone's going to make good decisions. They might make something I disagree with. And guess what? We'll talk about it after the game. Right. I'm so tired of this like yelling at people like, why'd you do that? Like, blah, blah, blah. It's like play with people you respect, play people you enjoy with. And you should, that's where I found I've had the most fun games. Cause I know if they do something weird, they probably have a reason for it. If they, their reason's not great, I know we'll have an actual discussion about the end of the game versus yelling at each other about whose priority is and how I'm going to bully you now. Cause it's like, you have an answer. I'm tapping my land. Like, I hate that shit. I rather just play with people I trust, know that they're playing well. And those are the games that I think are the most fun for me in Magic. Yeah. I, I would generally agree, especially with a lot of your sentiments on playing with players that, you know, uh, you respect and you know, all that and know what's going on. Uh, a funny tidbit on this, and it's just, this is actually not directly relevant, but does kind of, I think, highlight your point and is a spot that sticks out to me because I, I, you know, I, maybe it's a little bit of stroke me when you go, but there was a play recently where there's a wandering archaic in play. Um, I am, you know, whatever I'm taking my turn. Uh, I think I pass the player with wandering archaic is before me in turn or like directly before me. So, you know, they, I basically they're going to go last after my turn. So I pass my turn and on the next player's end step, I cast an ad nauseum and I don't pay for wandering or kick. So the, the joke here now you're like, okay, I, you could pay and you didn't, you just give a player a free ad nauseum. The joke here was that I wanted actually both ad nauseums to resolve. I either wanted both or neither. So I either wanted to get stopped by like a fluster storm or I wanted both ad nauseums to resolve because the player after, you know, the basically, I don't know. I'll, I'll call myself a, Player B is, you know, whose turn it is right now on their end step when I'm ad nauseaming. Player C is next, and then player D has the Wanderer kick. Player C has a Ranger Captain of Eos in play and has a ton of resources. So I think they're, like, going to win on their turn, basically. And I'm like, all right, so if I give two players an ad nauseum, uh, that gives basically both of us chances to hit interaction. It also makes player D, the one with the Wanderer kick, a bigger threat because they take their turn first. So what I wanted to happen was I wanted this ranger captain basically to 
be answered or be stopped by the first player with the ad nauseum, then that player is actually playing Kenrith and they can like reanimate the, um, they had the mana to reanimate Ranger Captain. And then I wanted them to have to Ranger Captain on that, you know, the player who has the Wandering Archaic their turn to stop them from winning with all their ad nauseum cards. And then maybe I find a spot or whatever, right? Um, so, well, basically the game plays out, you know, the water, the Ranger Captain does get cracked or whatever. And then player C, the one who cracked the Ranger Captain, uh, ends up trying, like trying to win or whatever and gets stopped by the player with the Wandering Archaic, whose ad nauseum did resolve. Their ad nauseum resolved. They countered my ad nauseum and, which is fine. It actually didn't matter. I had it, I had a win attempt on my next turn without ad nauseum. I just wanted the interaction that ad nauseum would grant me. And, but they just didn't reanimate the ranger captain. So now it's like, oh, uh, now we're in like a lot of trouble, right? And this is kind of, this is bullying not by priority, but by resource. Well, the problem is like, I don't know necessarily if the player thought that they could win around like all the ad nauseum. I think they ended up like losing the like face up information. It was just like really frustrating from my standpoint. Cause it's like, dang, like, I feel like a lot of this was face up, like the, what needed to happen. Like, I feel like by playing the way I did, it looks really goofy, but like kind of scripts certain players that understand kind of the value of the resources, how like to navigate things. And they just like didn't really see it or they d- assess things differently. Like whatever, not every player is going to see things the same way, but I did basically zero table talk this entire time. I just cast my nauseum, didn't pay for a wandering archaic and let things play out. And because maybe I did no table talk, and this is where I'm learning to do more table talking. And if I'm going to try to like bully a player into doing something, I probably should tell them what I want them to do <laughs> before I start making plays that look really wacky and wild. But essentially, like, I, I think I basically ended up just like dying on the spot to that play because of the way things played out. And, um, although it was funny, the player with the one air kick didn't win the game and neither did I. It was actually, uh, player B, the person after me. Uh, who I think was a Shawnee, shout out to Shawnee, that ended up winning the game, uh, despite, um, you know, that player having an ad nauseum and a watering archaic in play. It's just like, it was a really interesting game. It was a really interesting spot. And I don't, I'm not actually like begrudging how things played out. It just made me feel like, it made me look really dumb, I think, to the entire pod. Cause it's like, what are you doing? And then also like, I looked even dumber because the game didn't progress in the way I foresaw based on like how I saw the value of resources and plays that were kind of scripted because of the way I played. Um, and I think this kind of speaks to the problem with trying to play these four player priority bullying games where if you are trying to be on one level or even, you know, whatever, even if you're not actually that smart, you just see the game a certain way. If you don't vocalize it, not every player is going to see games the same way. But if you vocalize it, that takes a lot of time. Like, you know, now this is what I'm talking about earlier, where it's obnoxious, how you're explaining things to players. Maybe they'll take offense to that because it sounds condescending or whatever. But either way, like if you don't find a way to concisely explain what you want to happen or how you think things should progress or even just like your generic view of resources, what they're worth and how the game should play out, you end up making these decisions with priority bullying or or not or with anything. Like even like the play I just gave an example of, you make these plays where you're trying to force other players to make plays as a response and they just don't. And you're like, okay, <laughs> you just end up dead. And, and so I think as a result, you're going to run into more issues with priority bullying, trying to get those pods going, trying to have those pods where all four players are on the same page. If you try to like force that, I think players are going to end up evaluating things differently. And the game's just like you said, going to play out really weird. It's going to be like 
oh, someone just like wins when every single player had a piece of interaction in their hand or something, right? Like you're just going to have these really weird games that resolve in really weird ways. And it's going to feel unnatural. It's not going to feel like a game of magic that was had and played out. It's just going to feel like some super mental gymnastics where no one was actually on the same page, but was trying to feel really smart. And I think that's where a lot of my criticism for trying to make these like really interesting four player priority bullying games happen inorganically. Um, and like you said, maybe it is happening to some degree organically already. Like it's going to, because bullying is just kind of that flavor of bullying where you're trying to tax other players resources is just part of multiplayer games. But this explicit concept of priority bullying where you're generating other rounds of priority and even in games with you know i hate to call brayden out but brayden is somebody that you know i'm close to and hopefully you know he won't take too much offense to to this cast i I don't think we could have we have time for a long nuanced drawn out argument where we bring him on the cast and go at each other uh so i am doing my best to postulate his um his viewpoints but i understand that i think you and i mikey are more or less on the same page so i don't want to look like we're bullying brayden i actually appreciate his viewpoint a lot and it was really encouraging for me uh to kind of put this podcast together where i really try to examine things from my point of view in what i feel is kind of an unbiased standpoint but still through my lens um so please you know these players hire you know, Braden, I, I know I'm calling y'all out because y'all were the people I'm interacting with on Twitter. I love you both. I really appreciate your your viewpoints. And hopefully this doesn't dissuade you from interacting and providing your viewpoints later on. I, I really think this was a really good discussion. Um, but all this to say, I think I'm much more akin to games playing out organically. Like instead of being like, all right, you know, here's priority bullying as a concept. I need to get better at that. So I need to practice it. Instead, simply playing games of CDH and maybe it does come up like once or twice. Maybe it comes up where like you're in a spot where you think you're getting bullied or something and you don't want to move and you're just whatever. You just tap your land and pass priority. Like you don't say a word. Like how sick would that be? That to me would be really cool to watch actually. Where like we're watching this high level play. You know, it's the finals of a playing with power tournament or the Marchesa event. You know, the the high level players on all ends and there's the player that's last in priority order that thinks they're getting bullied or whatever. So they just like tap their land or something. And like that adds a whole nother level where this player thinks they're getting bullied, but they didn't, they weren't asked to generate another round of priority. They just did. I think that would be kind of interesting. I think as like, especially as like a one-off and like, it's like not very expected. You know, these players aren't directly priority bullying each other. They're just like, you know, playing a game of magic. And this person's like, you know what? I want to see what happens if I generate another round of priority for whatever strategic reason. I'm I'm not going to go through the effort to try to construct one, but I'm sure there is one. I think that would add a lot to, wow, like this player, A, is really good. B, like understands priority bullying as a concept, understands that you shouldn't do it all the time, but that like, you know, the effects of it, how it can work and why it matters. And C is like trying to use it to their advantage. That's like really, really good to watch if you understand you know, the intricacies of high level CDH and, you know, how, you know, whatever sandbagging stuff's going to work. And I do want to touch a little bit more on sandbagging before we, before we close this show down. But I think having all of this happen organically is a lot better and is actively good for the game. Whereas I think players explicitly trying to implement priority bullying in, in like an obnoxious extreme case where they're talking the entire time, it's like grading on everybody is like actively very bad. In fact, I would go as far as to say, I think it's strictly incorrect. Because most players aren't going to be on the same page. It's going to just tick a lot of people off, which is where this Twitter conversation, you know, came about to begin with. Like, I I was very much on the same page. I initially retweeted higher and was like, absolutely, I will just die. 
I'm, I will just flat refuse to cast my spells. I will just shut the game down. And like, in hindsight, I think I was a little extreme. I think maybe I didn't approach it with enough of a level head. And I think Brayden did a lot to kind of reconcile me to a point of, okay, priority bowling is actually just part of CDH. You can't really get away from it, but there is a correct way to do it and an incorrect way to do it. And I don't want like these incorrect ways of going about it to be paraded around like they're correct and have the game, like have this kind of divide between the player base where people think you should be doing it. So they start trying and then the rest of the, everyone is just miserable and never wants to play with those players again. You and I are also on the boat where we like to limit table talk in general. People like Hire and Braden, they really enjoy that aspect of the game and really try to do it. Meanwhile, when I'm in games with them, I'm just they're just like, "Why are you doing this? Like, what? that seems incorrect." I'm just like, "It's on the stack." Yeah, my spell here. Yeah. This is my spell. Would you like to respond? <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just at the point with Commander where I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with my skills. I feel like I'm decent at the game, so it's like I'm gonna play my game. People can disagree with what I want to do, but like you're not gonna talk me out of a decision. You're not gonna make me rethink my threat assessment. I did my own threat assessment, and I think this is correct. And usually, it ends up being correct. And the person who starts talking, it's like just trying to deflect and throw attention elsewhere. Like one of my favorite things to do is when we're playing with Alton and like I counter something or kill something that seems irrelevant. Like there's a game recently where I killed his dock side. He's like, why'd you kill my dock side? That's so dumb. Like there's a Dothi in play. I was like, well, Dothi is also stopping your breach combo and other things. And then his next turn, he casts birthing pod and he was trying to get his dock side into Zerda to win with infinite mana. Yeah. So it's just like, I just think once people start talking about, I am just, you've lost all credibility with me. I have no no interest in what you have to say and you're probably trying to talk me out of something because what I did was correct and you don't like that it's hurting your game plan like that's how I feel with it it's like if I'm playing with you if I ever play with any of you who are listening to this just know just respect my decisions and we'll get along like I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying I'm always right but as soon as you start yelling at me that I'm doing something incorrect it's gonna make me want to do it more because now I feel like you're just hiding something yeah exactly you're just like all right so you know somebody's up to something um, I, yeah, I, I think I very much ag- agree with a lot of that. And certainly like, you know, you make plays, I make plays. I'm willing to explain myself a lot of the time. If someone's like, why did you do that? I'll be like, I don't know. It just seems, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be somewhat dismissive if I am hiding something or it's, I think it's relevant for another reason. I'll be like, I just think that was the correct play. Or I'll be like, you know, I, I think that was the best target. I'll say that one a fair bit of the time. I just think that was the best target. Um, and then there's also times where I'll openly admit, I have no idea what's going on. And this is really where I implement table talk. I think the most is I'll, I'll reveal this abrupt decay in the middle of a player starting to go off. I'll be like, I have no idea when to use this. So I'll leave it up to the table that is not comboing to tell me when to use this. This is my theory. And like a lot of the times it'll be at a spot where, you know, the person comboing off doesn't get a lot from knowing it's there that they wouldn't already have. Like, basically, they're not going to be able to play around it anymore just because I revealed it. But, like, either usually just means we're hopelessly dead. But, like, these are the spots where I'm like, here's, make sure I'm not missing something. But the rest of the time, it's like, yeah, like, I'm, I built this deck, you know, usually made changes in such a way that I have, like, a theory or I have something I'm iterating on and I have some, you know, everything has a purpose. And so, like, I kind of, know the direction I want to take my cards anyway, even if from your viewpoint, something looks goofy, something looks wrong or something looks incorrect. Most of the time I'm implementing some plan. I have some plan with my hand. Like I don't keep a seven that doesn't have a plan. In fact, that's actually part of my heuristics for keeping a hand is like, what is this hand's plan? Like I'm so plan focused when it comes to playing games of CDH is like, all right, what is my vision for how this game's going to play out? How do each of these cards fit into that plan that you know, if someone tries to argue with me, it's like, whatever, like, I, 
I maybe am willing to talk about it after the game, but like there is a lot more they don't see. And I'm not always willing to just go into the entire intricacies of what my plan is. You know, <laughs> I have all this stuff. Like I want this card to line up like this. I want this card to line up like this. And I think X, Y, Z is the interaction that's available to the table right now. And this is my plan for beating it. Like these are the kinds of things that are going on. And there's a lot more than just the context of what's on the table. And so, like you said, like just killing this, do uh, this dock side when there's Dothy in play, it's like, okay, maybe you want that, uh, Dothy to be answered. Because now it's threatening because there's a, a dock side under it. Maybe someone now has to kill it or, or something like that. You know, the, there's more context going on that you potentially expose if someone wants to stop the game and just berate you for your play. And it's like, you know, I don't want to reveal that. And it comes up with spite packs a lot. We almost probably do an entire show on my thoughts on pact negation and what is spite pacting and all that. But uh, I, I generically hate the discourse around that because there's so much additional context with, you know, cards like Angel's Grace being representative in the format, uh, rituals being something people can cast on upkeep, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff, instant speed tutors. There's all kinds of things that add to the context of a game that make the decision to cast a pact negation make more or less sense that I really, really want to keep as interesting parts of the game and not dilute by just the table allowing one player just be berated for their plays. So, and I think that's where playing with specific pods comes up a lot and so on and so forth. All right, well, we got to start moving this show towards closing it down. There's a couple more things I want to touch on on this topic to really kind of do our best to highlight what we're talking about and how it differs from other stuff. But before we move on from specifically priority bullying to really, really hammer home uh, the concept of sandbagging, what is sandbagging and exactly what's, you know, some of the are perceived differences based on the games we've played and how we understand the concepts. Um, I wanted to talk a, a moment about some of the effects if priority bullying were allowed to exist in the kind of problematic viewpoint that, um, I would say I constructed, but I've actually seen this play out. Like I've seen players be really obnoxious about it, trying to, I don't know, be better at the game, try to get better at the game. So they start like being really obnoxious about priority bullying. So I'd like to say that like, this is, you know, one of those scenarios where I'm just constructing something to get mad about, but no, it is actually a real scenario that has come up in pods and is something that I think should be actively discouraged because it has, you know, outside of just making people not want to play with that player and honestly creating a bad viewpoint of cdh like imagine a casual player watching that and being like holy cow like this looks awful like i don't want to sit there and get actively bullied for how i'm playing like it's called bullying because that is what is happening like you are getting bullied um even if it's in game it's in a game context that's still you know what's happening and that doesn't feel good and there's a lot of players that would be very not okay for so like i think it does a lot to harm our image as like a community because I think CDH in general is incredibly friendly, is, you know, incredibly diverse, is honestly one of the only Twitter spaces I've actually had productive conversations. I, I made a whole tweet about that, I think, like last year at some point where it's like some of the only like real productive nuanced conversations I've ever had on Twitter were in the CDH sphere. So the community, I mean, albeit very small and, you know, that'll almost certainly change as it grows and, you know, includes more and more just the, the nature of the beast is that as you get more and more uh, people there's a lot more noise a lot more voices and things start to really break down but like i think cdh as a community is awesome i think they're incredibly welcoming you literally don't even need to own a single magic card to play like you can just proxy stuff up and everyone's like generically okay with that and so i think harming our image based on you know what is perceived to be correct when games are playing out is incredibly bad 
I think that's like just way bigger than even an in winning into any individual game of CDH. Like it, it, it threatens to affect CDH's ability to thrive and be respected, not really as its own format, but as a concept where it's like, all right, look, we're trying to take this serious. We're trying to go like as hard as possible. And here is concepts and strategies that we think are good for that. But also, I think it actually also discourages decks, like deck selection. So take your example, right? Where you're playing with, uh, you know, three other players that were participating in priority bullying and you're playing Get Rog. You don't have access to free counter spells. You don't have access to blue cards where there's a lot more interaction. Like you can kind of just be like, look, I have nothing. I'm not going to tap my mana. We'll just die. Like, you know, I have nothing. I'm a black green deck. So if it gets to me, I'm going to pass priority and I'm not going to generate another round of priority. You have the ability to say that and they more or less have to respect that or they threat just losing the game on the spot. Now, that means you get to kind of circumvent the entire conversation almost. And this is something I do with Bergy a lot. And this is why I really wanted to call this out is I play a lot of Bergy got a storytelling. It's one of my favorite decks in CDH. And it honestly does have a fair bit of interaction, but basically only deflecting SWAT is your free piece. You have one free piece in your entire deck. So if you're tapped out a lot of the time, you'd be like, look, I'm in mono red. Like what, what do you want from me? Like you have that ability. That's something you can leverage. And it's something I do leverage a lot of the time. Like players don't count on me to answer anything. They'll be like, Drake, do you have anything? And a lot of time they're excited when I do, because I just don't a lot of the time, like, you know, does this misdirection interact? Does a fork interact? Sometimes yes. Sometimes uh, no. So, you know, a fork doesn't beat an underworld breach. So, like, there are contexts where you can still interact with a deck like Bergy, but you don't have to deal with a lot of the priority bullying nonsense if you're just already tapped out, can't take any game actions, and you probably don't have your single piece of free interaction. And to me, that's a big boon. Like, that's a reason why I'm excited to put just show up with Bergies. I don't have to deal with the nonsense. I don't have to deal with any of that. I can just be like, all right, I'm here to do my thing. I'm here to solve the puzzle of how do I beat the other player's interaction and still win. And, you know, some amount of the time I'll participate in stacks where I'll swat something as a piece of protection to help somebody or I'll bolt a problematic permanent or, you know, whatever. Chaos Warp is a card I play that answers literally any permanent. So, like... There are spots where I will participate in the interaction that is happening. Like, I'm not just literally goldfishing my deck. I do think that is pretty miserable. But I have a lot more power in my own hands to choose when I interact and why. And that, to me, is actually extremely powerful and is a reason that Bergy maybe disproportionately wins in my hands compared to maybe you know, other spots where you know, somebody pilots it differently or their table talk is differently. Like, I don't necessarily know. I haven't watched a ton of other players play Berkey, but the deck feels really powerful for some of these reasons where you are kind of a dark horse when it comes to interaction and also just have a powerful combo with a powerful mana generator out of the command zone. And I think driving players to a specific, you know, archetype or to even like decks that just don't include blue because that allows them to specifically ignore some of these conversations is not something that should be more exaggerated than it already is. It's going to happen to some degree, but I think it'll be more exaggerated if like this, you know, really constant priority bullying is encouraged. You feel like you would be encouraged to participate in that. Like you'd be encouraged to play these mid-rangey blue decks or whatever that, uh, can participate in the priority bullying and that'll draw you to playing those. I actually think the opposite would happen for most players because they either don't get it or don't want to get it. And so they're just going to refuse to like do any of it at all. And uh, I, I don't think that's better for the game if it's influencing deck decision because you think you're going to get bullied at a table for just simply having blue cards or whatever, right? Yeah, that makes sense. 
I, I don't know. I, I really, I know, I know I kind of monologued there a little bit. That's just like a viewpoint I thought about that occurred to me kind of after the fact with the conversation um, about some of the dichotomy between playing some of the blue decks I play and, and Birdie. So uh, hate to, hate to hog all the airtime, but that was something that um, I kind of wanted to, to articulate from, from my point of view. All right. Uh, last little, last little tidbit and then we'll, we'll close everything down. Uh, I wanted to reference sandbagging because that is something that's kind of come up at multiple points because I do feel like there's a fine line between what is priority bullying and what is just sandbagging. And I think sandbagging is, you know, absolutely correct. Uh, it's a poker term. Sandbagging itself is just a poker term. If you don't know it, then I think you can look it up. But basically it kind of amounts to feigning weakness. And you do this by obviously passing priority when you do have something to to stop whatever's going on. Um, And... Sandbagging, I think, is you know a critical element to CEDH, and I, I certainly think you'll agree with me there. I think basically everybody that plays CEDH at a, a remotely high level is going to really be both good at that, understand why it's necessary, and kind of be a master at it, because that is, I think, the best way. It's kind of priority bullying done right, where it's like, you don't really have to talk to sandbag. You can just be like, I'll pass priority on this, right? Like, that's all you have to say. And that's something you would be saying anyway. And so, like, it's very minimally disruptive to the game. So it doesn't feel bad to, like, sit here and wait for someone to get bullied or anything. Um, and it does allow you to kind of pick your spots with your interaction still. Especially if you think somebody else has an, a piece of interaction. And um, it still isn't necessarily competitively correct. And this is what we were alluding to way earlier in the cast where we were talking about dying with force will in your hand, right? Like that's how that happens, right? If you, if you're sandbagging your force of will and you just pass priority and the whole table just passes priority and just like, Oh, we're dead crap. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, you know, oops, didn't mean to do that. Like then, you know, I, I don't think it was, you, there's no way you can really argue that it was correct, quote unquote, to, to sandbag your force there. And, this is where you would come in and be like, well, shouldn't you have just priority bullied in that spot? And it's like, well, no, because once again, you're losing rapport with that player, right? You're losing rapport with players that have an active dislike for priority bullying. And you, you run into the host of problems that we just spent the entire show talking about. So it is about finding the line because if you are sandbagging something and then realize that, oh, you know, you screwed up, like you do need to cast this and like you need to get priority back so that you can actually cast it then suddenly you're kind of priced into implementing priority bullying. And I do think that has like a real negative cost for a whole host of reasons we just talked about that that leads to uh, a problem no matter what. And you you basically just more or less have kind of screwed it up. Like you didn't assess the table right. You shouldn't have sandbagged. And now you're either just dead or have to like try to bully a player, right? Yeah. Like I said, sometimes you die. It's all about that cost risk analysis. Like there's also... Well, there's games I've died with Forceful in hand. There's also games where I just didn't jam the Adnaz on my turn because I thought there was interaction. Like, Magic's a hard game, and just kind of got to roll with the punches and learn from your mistakes and see how, what you can do different for future games. Yeah. And there, there's, of course, even more nuance you can go down to. I don't think there's a lot of value in, in really beating the dead horse on the, on the podcast here, but, like, one of the best ways to actually counteract sandbagging is kind of unfortunately to like bully that player to acting. And that's kind of what we were talking about with the Seedborn Muse earlier in the cast as well, where it's like, you know, this player, if they try to sandbag their stuff, the whole table's just going to die because, you know, they're going to die either way. It's it's the illusion of choice. So the the best way to counteract sandbagging is to actually bully that player into acting. So like there is a way to do it right. 
Um, and generally, it's very obvious. Like, there isn't as much of a blur in the average game. And I think this is the experience we've both had. So I'm going to speak for us both here. In the average game that you and I both play and the pods we play together and separately, it's usually very obvious if you should be bullying a player, like, into using their interaction. They usually are wildly ahead. Everyone else has, like, one or two cards in hand. They have, like, ten and like one of them, one of their cards is like a face up piece of interaction and, you know, you need to bully them into acting or else you're going to lose to their pile of resources to everybody else's literal nothing. So I think there is spots where bullying is correct. I think those spots are usually extremely obvious. And I think if drawn out, it's particularly miserable for a lot of the players, myself included, and uh, in general, it just kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I think you need to really, that's certainly part of the skill, part of the social skill, part of being able to leverage, um, resources in a different way. And, uh, a big thing that I've, uh, had to adjust to, and I'm still adjusting to, I, I still think I don't table talk enough, but I'm so scared of doing too much because it's so awful when you do <laughs> that, like I could stand to do more and just, and just haven't. So, you know, that's my piece. Uh, I think that's pretty exhaustive kind of discussion around priority bullying and how it kind of compares to sandbagging, what it is, what it isn't, and when you should do it, when you shouldn't. Is there anything else that you want to add before we close the showdown? Um, in general, when you enter a game or you're entering a new play group, just get a feel for things. Like there's some play groups that love to do priority bullying, as Braden said. There's also some play groups that love to do politics and all that. And as Drake and I have mentioned, we don't like to play the politics game. We like to just play our own game. If we lose, we lose because we made a bad decision. And so be it. Like, that happens. Magic's a hard game. So all I can say is really just get a feeling for who you're playing with and then roll with that. There's not really one correct or not. There is no right or wrong way to play this game. It's all about how you have the most fun. And that really comes to just adapting a bit to whatever play group that you find most comfortable playing with. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And honestly, I think that's something that we don't really do enough of mostly because we're in a server where we're all more or less on the same page. I think that's the advantage to having like a, a little bit more of a restricted server and play group yeah. that we play with is the rule zero conversations all kind of get shortcutted. But frankly, when playing with new pods, I think I definitely, and I, I don't know that I don't know how much you've done it. We probably could get better about like doing some pregame conversations about that kind of stuff specifically where it's like, all right, like, you know, how do y'all like to play instead of like potentially making a misstep and leaving some feel bads that even bleed over into real life where, you know, maybe there's some grudges that are held and whatever, having some of those conversations. I mean, CDH, as much as it is competitive, competitive, the average case is just incredibly casual. Like you're playing with proxies, you're playing with friends, like you're there to have a good time. You're not really there to just, you know, shark each other for money. Um, tournaments are a different setting, but once again, that's another cast in its own right. It's, I have a lot of thoughts on. Uh, competitive EDH tournaments and maybe some of the trials and tribulations that come with those. But I think, you know, the average game, you're playing casually with friends. Nobody wants to sit there and be braided. Sometimes they just want to, you want to kick back, you want to smile and laugh and have a good time with friends and do cool stuff. It's just like any other game of EDH, you know, just like casual EDH, but yeah, it shortcuts a lot of the power level discussions. That's a big advantage with CDH. And it does kind of operate on a different level. It feels like a different format. That's why it gets referred to as a different format, even though it's the exact same band list, the exact same card pools. So, uh, yeah, I think have, like Mikey said, that's a good point. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Definitely have those conversations before you sit down, know your play group and, uh, 
maybe it's not even that bad. Just ask, like just flat out ask, how do y'all feel about priority pooling? You know, make people probably don't even know what it is and you'll bring it up and they'll say, wow, that sounds awful. Or, you know, that sounds neat. Let's try it for a pot or something. Like, I think that could be a really healthy discussion and uh, it's, it's a really good point. All right. Uh, I think we have talked long enough about this topic. So we'll go ahead and close the show down here on this Friday. I know you got some interesting things you got to get to for the rest of the day. You know, I don't know how much you, you do or don't want to share, but you got some exciting stuff coming up. So I'm certainly going to let you get to that. Uh, I appreciate everybody listening. If you want to find us, you can find the podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, the anchor link that we post on Twitter, which is at the Miscast MTG. Follow us on Twitter, please. Uh, we have like 20 followers. Please follow us so we can be famous. Um, yeah, anyway, the anchor link that we post for each new show update should have the tree of all the different places you can find the podcast. If we're missing any, tweet at us. Tell us that, hey, I want to be on this platform and, you know, we'll see about getting it added to that platform as well. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter at viral underscore Drake. You should also be able to find me on Moxfield and see some of the lists I'm working on, uh, the ones I talk about in the show. Uh, you should be available there if you want to check out some of the stuff I'm working on. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to interact with all of you. And I really appreciate all the support. I mean, the podcast has performed so much better than I ever dreamed in this first, you know, few episodes and gotten a ton of great feedback from people and uh, the conversations that have even spanned post uh show have been really really awesome so i really appreciate everybody's support and everybody interacting with this and listening to us ramble on about random things about cdh for for hours on end it does mean a lot anyway where can they find you mikey um you can find me on twitter uh you also if you bother drake he'll get you in touch with me and <laughs> once again al is my secretary i don't pay him for nothing so you can bother him as well um at helenium he's on He's part of the spell seekers. He's on Twitter. He's in discords. He made the infamous blue pod deck, which is so great. Everyone should know about it. It's very competitive. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you, uh, I guess if you want to reach Mikey, have your people talk to his people and you know, it's, it's a much more formal process. Mikey's a hard guy to get a hold of. That's for, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, I know uh, we got an exciting episode that we're planning next week. I don't want to necessarily make any kind of promises or anything, but I think we may have our first special guest next week. And uh, maybe if that's successful, we'll lead towards having, you know, more special guests on and doing deck techs and things like that. We've done very different shows. Uh, I don't even know who's still listening at this point. Normally, I'm somebody that turns the podcast off once everybody starts shilling. But uh, I, I do think that we've done a very different show for each episode so far. Like we've literally covered... Uh, you know, a new set, we covered a tournament, and then now we just covered like a specific isolated strategy. So I think we've done uh, quite a range of episodes. So uh, I'll probably post a poll on Spotify or whatever. I would love to hear feedback on what y'all like, what y'all don't like, what you love us here talking about, you know, what maybe we could cut out a little bit of just good, good positive feedback. And of course, we're gonna be trying something different uh, next week, trying to have a guest on and maybe doing a deep dive on one specific deck or one specific color pairing or, you know, whatever, we're gonna see exactly what the structure that's gonna look like. But uh, I think we, uh, have a nice range that's even outside what we've done so far for our podcast next week. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to try a bunch of different things and see what's popular, what's not, what people like to hear and, uh, just kind of sit here and talk with my boy Mikey. So anyways, enough of the long rambling. Thank you so much for listening and we'll check you out next week.